Hello, welcome to another episode of the Code 321 Podcast. I'm joined again by very special guests, Kate Soons and Chris McCarthy. We're here to talk about the AEMT and REMT exams. I know there are some folks of us um, from the NETS program that are getting prepared for the AEMT exam. We want to make sure that you have all of the tools that you need to be successful. Um, so without ado, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the psychomotor part of the exam. For the psychomotor exam, do you folks want to just talk a little bit about what they can expect for stations um, and maybe a little bit about what your experience with proctoring those stations has been like? So the stations that they're going to have, um, some are similar to the EMT level. So they're going to do trauma, medical, uh, cardiac arrest management, and then a random station, which again would be bleeding control and shock, long bone, or joint immobilization. Um, and then in addition, they'll do the supraglottic airway, IV, um, IV bolus med, PDIO, and pediatric respiratory compromise. So a little bit more than the EMT, There's yes. a, and it's a little bit more technical. Uh, definitely more technical. Absolutely. I think um, as I've remembered my AEMT exam and what I've heard from people who have gone through it recently, um, the EMT, they're looking for that minimum competency, making sure you're safe, making sure you have the basics down, you're doing everything in the correct order. Um, the AEMT is really where the rubber hits the road because they're really expecting you to think, you know, the walk and chew gum. You really need to be thinking about what is going on underneath the surface and what are you going to do three steps from what you're doing right now. Yep. Hey, and it's Kate here. I just, um, we, when we spoke about the BLS exam, we mentioned that there is an exam coordinator's manual. When it comes to the advanced DMT level certification exam, the ALS advanced level examination coordinator manual that is public on the National Registry website becomes an, literally an invaluable preparatory tool for the advanced DMT candidate. There's what we call uh, essays to the skill examiner. So let's say Nick Carson is going to evaluate um, pediatric respiratory compromise. Uh, there is an entire essay for you to read as an evaluator that tells you how the station is supposed to go. Imagine being a candidate and having access to that information. Everybody does. So everyone that's testing at the AEMT level should really look at the National Registry Exam Coordinator Manual for ALS exams and know the stations. Absolutely, that's a really good point. So just from your experience as being coordinators, if you are going to offer AEMT psychomotor stations um, and you were offering EMT stations as well, do you put some thought into what examiners you're putting at those different stations? I would imagine you probably have some pretty strict criteria for who's going to be examining at the A level. Um, so um, I've been coordinating exams for like 10 years now, at least here locally in Chittenden County. Um, and I always put my most experienced evaluators at the AMT level. Obviously, they have to be AMTers or higher. Um, but I put my most experienced evaluators at those stations. And I put, you know, the ones that I know are really strong evaluators, they always end up at medical and trauma. Because those stations are so involved, there's so many high points associated with them, that that's where I put them. Um, and then from there, I take my most experience and I put them at the pediatric respiratory compromise pediatric IO station. Um, and if possible, I, if possible, if I have a paramedic that's helping, that's where the paramedic goes. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Is there, between the two of you, is there any one or two stations that you think really trip people up at the A level, or is it kind of similar to the EMT? Um, believe it or not, uh, unfortunately, trauma assessment and medical assessment, which everybody has already successfully passed at the EMT level, present challenges for the advanced EMT. And one of the things that's important to remember is that BLS comes before ALS, and that's even true for you as a paramedic, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. true. It's true for me as a critical care nurse. You know, you can't go push some fancy drug on a patient with a closed airway, plain and simple. Yep. Doesn't work. So, um, medical and trauma assessment uh, tend to be uh, problematic. And again, just like when you, uh, for those that might listen to the previous podcast, tripping over the primary survey and not recognizing life threats in airway, breathing, circulation, and correcting them right then and there before you go on to the next step. Um, that's definitely a problem. That's a big time problem. And these exams, I know when I took my AEMT exam without talking about specifics, I know the when I took my EMT exam, Everything was pretty straightforward. I kind of understood what I was walking into. I had a system in place. I ran down through my sheet. I made sure to hit my critical pieces in order. When it came to the AEMT, I remember specifically on my um, one of my stations, when I walked in, there was an immediate life threat right away that I had to deal with before I even had time to make a full uh, you know, um, realization of the station. So at the A level, they may be starting to throw things at you like that to see you perform under pressure immediately to make sure that you recognize it and you do that right away absolutely and you know as, as I've taught um, a number of advanced EMT students you have to be training for that okay so you have to be training for some kind of penetrating trauma that is a threat to the airway and breathing that you need to correct immediately um, the other thing that your students might consider is if you think about all the different things that you're being allowed to do as an advanced EMT maybe correcting altered mental status with with uh, IV dextrose or perhaps administering epinephrine offline to a patient with anaphylaxis you should be training medical scenarios that reflect your new skills so take a list of all the medications and create scenarios that reflect those skills and be prepared to provide those interventions. That's a really good point. I, I know when I was going through the program as a student and when I went through my exam, some of the feedback I got is if you're deciding to give a medicine, if you're the type of student that is really well prepared and you can rattle off the five rights and you can rattle off exactly what you're thinking, hey, I'm going to give epinephrine because this is true anaphylaxis. There are no contraindications. I know what I'm doing. When you are able to say that in a concise and clear way without coming across as cocky or arrogant or too quick, I think that goes a long way with those examiners because we're looking for people, especially at the A level, who are exhibiting confidence in their skills and are able to intervene immediately on those life threats. And you really make a great point, Nick, because when I am training students that I'm teaching, I'm asking them to verbalize their assessment, their findings, and their plan of care. And the reason I'm doing that is so that they get used to verbalizing. And again, people are like, oh, Kate's teaching to the test. That's not true. You and I could go on a call right now out here on Route 15 and if I say, up, oh, I hear Strider, I feel like the airway's obstructed. Do you see a sting site, Nick? Oh, you're seeing, you're seeing hives. If we're verbalizing in real life on calls, we're communicating with each other as providers. So if you're preparing for your exam 
by verbalizing, there is no question in an examiner's mind that you're on the right track, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're instilling confidence that you are safe to care for the public. So I would encourage all of your students to prepare that way. Absolutely. We certainly don't want to be dangerous to the public. We want to, <laughs> yeah. we want to keep that going. No damaging of the public. No, we don't allow that. <laughs> is that an NREMT critical fail? Yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Well, so, technically, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It oh, is. You, yeah, it's right. yeah, you can't. can't be damaging the public, yep. for sure. So um, so we go through the AEMT. There's a couple stations. I know one of the things that uh, we've gotten some feedback from for some of our students is the Pediatric IO Station and Medication Bolus Administration. I think this is the first time we're really asking them to do uh, med math on the fly and we actually expect a certain amount of accuracy. Are you able to talk about kind of what that window is for accuracy on uh, the medication administration? Yep, so for, um, for both of those stations, um, PDIO, you are giving a dose of fluid, so that is a medication that you're giving to a child, and in the IV med bolus station, uh, same thing. So the accuracy is is absolute. Um, the thing that your students will will appreciate, I hope, is that when they look at that exam coordinator manual, they will see that there's only so many meds that are at that station, and if you're you know, a reasonably bright person, you'll recognize, oh, it's going to be one of these medications, regardless of whether you know that it's dextrose and naloxone or whether it's epi or whatever the case may be, you really got to know those ones. I mean, you're only asked to know, I think it's eight or something like that, you know, so you got to know it. And again, if you are verbalizing, I'm going to give 12.5 grams of dextrose 50% IV push. That's going to be in 25 milliliters. And you're playing with the expired D50 container and looking at it. When it comes to the day that you're required to do it, it shouldn't be nerve-wracking for you to pick up a syringe of D50 and know that half an amp is 12.5 grams. It's 25 milliliters, and this is how I'm going to do it. So it, it does go into to prepping, you know. I think for the PDIO, and you can absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, um, it, they should take the paper and do the math. Don't take the time to figure out the math. It, if someone's going to miss that station, one, it's because of the math, and they give the wrong bolus amount. Um, and then the other reason, actually, a lot of times why people don't pass that station is um, they go over the time limit. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I do have a strategy for PDIO. Um, you have to practice it, and you have to practice it with a timer, and you have to practice it with someone who knows what they're doing as they're watching you. My first recommendation is to walk in and do the math. If you practice the math over and over again, you're going to start to recognize that, yep, I got the right answer, because I practice what a 15-pound baby is going to be 70 times so I know that's going to be whatever it is we all know that I can't do math and I can't teach math but I'm still okay as a nurse yeah um the as soon as the evaluator gives you the weight in pounds do the math do the calculations say okay the baby is eight kilograms I'm going to give 160 milliliters of fluid so go ahead and say what you're going to do right then and there and then switch gears and do your setup and say, okay, I'm ready. This is a good IO. I'm now ready to give my bolus. And they're going to be like, wow, this person's on it. They got it going on. Absolutely. I think another thing that I was never really taught specifically, but I kind of keep in my head both on the 
ambulance and when I did my inner EMT testing is if you have a nice easy number and you know that that number makes sense for the medication. So for example, if you were to use a 10 kilogram baby and you were giving them 20 milliliters per kilogram, we know that that's 200 milliliters. If you're taking care of a kid that's 7.5 kilograms and you come up with a number that's 360, you should know because you know for a fact that 10 kilograms is going to be 200 milliliters just have those little checks and balances in your head and just ask yourself does this make sense this why would a kid that's smaller get more this maybe i did something wrong right well but that goes again that goes back to preparation so all of your students should do the math from i don't know say a, a three pound baby up to a 20 pound baby and do it for each pound um there's no there's no um 7.5 pound babies they're either seven or eight uh, for the exam just so you know because right. that, that would just be cruel and unusual yes, punishment um but if they are practicing these volumes over and over again again then when you get to the point uh where you're in the testing environment yeah you're going to be nervous but because you've done it so many times it'll come to you Absolutely. If you have more questions about the NREMT psychomotor exam, we really encourage you to go back and listen to the EMT podcast. I know that there are a lot of things, um, a lot of you that are taking the AEMT exam and you might be listening to the A exam only. Um, you are still an EMT. And if you go back and listen to that podcast, it's a little bit longer and you'll be able to get some more information and some insight. Um, we have two excellent, excellent NREMT exam uh, representatives and uh, instructor coordinators who have done many, many classes and have helped a lot of people get through these successfully, and they have a lot to offer. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to that if you're looking for more information. Um, as far as the cognitive exam goes, the AEMT is the one exam in the NREMT that's a little bit different than the paramedic and the EMT. You want to talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. So um, the EMT exam, as your students will recall, that is an adaptive exam. So it kind of gives you questions based on how you're doing and shuts off early if you're doing great or if you're you know, tossing the exam. Um, because the advanced EMT certification level has not been around for as long, it continues to be what they call a linear exam. So there's 135 questions and then 15 experimental yeah. whatever, like they're testing the question and it's so it's linear you take all of those um, if you're going to prepare for a long exam like that you have to do practice exams that are that long so if you get into the Pearson testing suite and you're overwhelmed by 150 questions that's on you I mean it's it's public knowledge you got to practice these long exams for you know at least a month before you go um, and just like in the EMT podcast we talked about uh, how the National Registry is, divides the exam into, you know, airway and circulation, um, excuse me, airway and CPR, um, cardiovascular emergencies, still has EMS ops, still has trauma. Um, I've met with students um, around the state who have had a hard time with the uh, cognitive exam, and the most frequent sections that are failed by advanced EMT candidates are trauma and EMS ops trauma and EMS ops that's kind of BLS stuff yeah you know yeah. it really is and we also have some intelligence from uh, an insider at the National Registry that says about 80% of the questions are BLS questions and that's because you cannot save someone's life if you overlook the basic life support um, interventions that are required so the advanced EMT exam is not only testing your ability to have some higher thought processes, but it's also to recognize that 
a simple BLS correction, it's what's needed. Control the bleeding, open the airway. So, and same things, like we said in EMT, order of operations, what should you do next? A um, lot of case scenarios at the advanced EMT level. Um, my recommendation for that is to read the last sentence that ends in a question mark, read the question, and then go back and read the case scenario. And by knowing what you're looking for at the top of the case scenario, your brain will filter out sort of the extraneous information that they put in there that you don't need. I would also say one of the tips we give people is that AEMT, you're required to be an EMT to take the A class. So odds are you've probably been on an ambulance and been on a medical call before. If you really get turned around and you, you can't remember which way is up, just read the question slowly, pay attention to what it's asking, and do what you would do. The EMT and all these curriculum pieces are written by people who perform these skills and want you to be successful in the field. Nothing that enter EMT does is going to reflect a poor EMT, whether it's an answer to a question or if it's a psychomotor examination. If you were to perform well as an AEMT, you will be successful in the psychomotor and the cognitive exam. That's all that they're looking for. Um, is this the rules are the same? I'm assuming for how many times you could fail it and remediate. exactly the same. Um, just um, if you sorry, um, the rules are the same as far as full attempts and all of that. The only difference really is the number of stations you, you know, you have to pass the majority. You're tested on nine stations. You have to pass the majority of them. Great. And one of the things we do here at Nats to prepare people with their AEMT courses, we know that in the state of Vermont, many times the AEMT is going to be the crew captain and the crew chief on these ambulances. And although that may not be reflected in the national curriculum as much, we do focus on leadership and operation decision making in our course because we know there's a high probability with some of these services, especially the more rural services, when you become the AEMT, you may be that go-to person. You may be that crew captain, and whether you like it or not, if you're that advanced level provider, you need to take custody of that call and make those difficult decisions. And you know what? That's fantastic that that's the way you've designed your courses, and I think that that also speaks to the expectation from our medical directors that as an advanced EMT, you're operating at a new level. You're operating with um, an advanced scope of practice and with the privilege of giving medications from standing order, standing, order, standing protocols um, that reflect on your assessment. So there is an expectation that you'll be able to communicate at a higher level with online medical direction, um, with the, the nurses and the, and the PAs and the doctors that are receiving your patients. So that's, that's fantastic. That's a really good point. I think one of the things we just touched on briefly that I want to accentuate before we um, end the podcast is just because you're an AEMT does not mean that everything is going to be AEMT from that point on. I know for an example, there was a paramedic student that was taking an NREMT exam um, and one of their exam stations was something that was a very basic BLS maneuver and it had no paramedic components in it. And that station was designed to test and see if those providers can recognize what needs to be done and not go above and beyond you know you shouldn't be innovating somebody that can be resuscitated with other means you know and things like that are going to come into play at the aemt level yep and i actually have a saying that i teach all of my students when we're talking about ivs everybody's so excited about doing ivs discretion is the better part of valor so you can be a, a noble valiant ems provider by saying you know what this little old lady has one vein. This IV's not gonna save her life. I'm just trying to get access, so I'm not gonna blow it and I'm not gonna start this IV. Now, conversely, 
sometimes you got to cowboy up and say, I got this, I own this vein and I'm going to do it. But discretion is the better part of valor when it comes to ALS. I think you'll get a real big kick out of this. There's a expression that goes around where I work called just because you know karate doesn't mean you need to do karate. <laughs> and that basic that basically means you may have the skill set, but you need to recognize when and where to use that skill set. Yep. You know, and exactly what you're talking about. I distinctly remember working with one of the providers I really like in Burlington was mentoring me. And we had an older woman who was a little bit dehydrated, but was pretty stable and was a very severely ill chemotherapy patient. And we had the discussion about we're less than five minutes from the hospital. She's okay at the moment. Do we really put her through the process of doing a dirty IV in the back of the ambulance for the sake of 200 milliliters of fluid when she may or may not get that by someone who can have a much more controlled and clean environment? Yep. That is a fantastic example. That is that is the essence of being an advanced provider is, is having that higher thought process about is this the right thing to do? And that's why I think adding those leadership components to your program is really important. That's excellent. Absolutely. We want to make sure people are doing karate at the right moments. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys very much for joining me. If you have any other questions or concerns, you can always contact your instructor coordinator. You can contact your TA. We have a website, netsvt.com. You can always go on there, listen to our podcast. You can get in touch with us. We'd be happy to work with you. We're going to continue to try to provide as uh, best training as we can to make sure you guys are prepared for the exam. Like we said in the earlier podcast, it's our goal to have you be successful. It only reflects better on us for you guys to be successful in these exams. So I want to thank uh, Kate and Chris for coming in and doing this podcast with us. I'm sure it'll be invaluable information and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the EMT and the AEMT and take all that they have to offer. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you.